0: Winning season returns at MyBookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means survivor, super contests, and squares. At MyBookie, winning season means hitting all your parlays and props with your feet up, watching your team trounce their rivals. Rejoice! It's time to celebrate the NFL season. Invest in your institution. Use promo code VOCNATION and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Use promo code VOCNATION, spell it out, VOCNATION, all one word, and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today, only at MyBookie.
2: Wrestling with
0: History, The Voice of Choice, and Killer Ken
3: Resnick. Ken? When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on, Chris? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? Almost as famous for for his Facebook trolling as he is from his wrestling years. General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and... Who could have fled? Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny.
0: Wow. Yeah, see a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, you guys
3: are <laughs> busting me up. And I don't think Hollywood's ready for Malcomanium, bubble weight we'll The bigger you are, the harder you fall. This is Larry's Zabisco, Wrestling's Living Legend, VOC Nation Radio Worldwide.
0: Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, killer Ken Resnick here on a Wednesday evening. We had a very special show today. By the way, remember, we're on hiatus from new episodes, so we're going deep into the archives and we're pulling out some of the best interviews in VOC Nation history. And I want to remind everybody that this episode and this week at VOC Nation is brought to you by my bookie, Winning season returns at MyBookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means survivor. Super contests and squares at MyBookie. Winning season means hitting all your parlays, all your props with your feet up, watching your team trounce their rivals. Rejoice. It's time to celebrate the NFL season. Invest in your institution. Use the promo code VOCNATION. Remember all one word, VOCNATION, and double your first deposit New players get up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting at MyBookie. Very simple. Make your picks. Win big. Collect your cash. Use the promo code VOCNATION and double your first deposit Winning season begins today only at MyBookie, and we really encourage you to support our sponsors. Just go right there to MyBookie, and it's it's so easy. It's so fun. Play. Just play one time, and I bet you you'll be hooked. So right now I want to go way back to 2012, a very special, rare interview that I got to do with the legendary WWE Hall of Famer superstar, Billy Graham. Right here, right now at Wrestle Reunion, Los Angeles, California, I am with WWE Hall of Famer, the superstar Billy Graham. Superstar Billy Graham, this is the second year in a row we've had you at Wrestle Reunion with Scott Epstein from Publicity Management Services. And it's so good to have you here, a rare appearance by the superstar.
1: Thank you, my brother. It's good to be here. Good to be here on the uh on the radio waves, we're on radio, satellite, what are we on here, this brother? This is uh, WNJC
0: 1360 Philadelphia and uh, also streaming on the Internet at vocnation.com.
1: Streaming, brother. Streaming. 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 Streaming and screaming, brother. Worldwide. Worldwide. We're going worldwide. Worldwide. Excellent. Worldwide. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, uh, first of all, uh, for inviting me onto the show. I appreciate I appreciate the invitation. I really do.
0: Now, great to have you. I said it to you yesterday when we had that little skit with Sassy Stephanie. You're one of the most entertaining personalities ever in professional wrestling. So it's an honor to have you here. Oh, thank you. Brother. And certainly, now, I, I said WWE Hall of Fame. But there was uh, something that you did a couple years ago. You actually sold your WWE Hall of Fame ring, right?
1: Yes, yes. Um, Several years ago, uh, as a lot of uh, wrestling fans know, I've had a liver transplant. And uh, I'm on uh, a very expensive medication uh, to prevent uh, uh, my body from rejecting... Uh, the liver. Right. I have a, a female liver in me. A young girl here in uh, in, in Phoenix, Arizona, and 202 was in a car wreck. She was a donor, and I I got her liver, uh, which saved my life. And uh, you have to take anti-rejection medications and a lot and, and a lot of medications in the beginning. And uh, so I actually sold my uh, my Hall of Fame induction ring to help uh, pay for these uh, life-saving uh, 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 medications. Uh, I'm still taking, and um, that caused a lot of uh, controversy. And it um, uh, uh, actually uh, not so much controversy with the fans and uh, those folks, but it, it caused a lot of animosity uh, with Vince McMahon uh, himself. Uh, uh, he didn't quite understand uh, the need uh, for me to sell my uh, Hall of Fame ring, and I didn't want to because I. Uh, I really appreciated being inducted into the, the WB, uh, WWE Hall of Fame. There's sure. no about it. It was a great honor. And I'm still in the Hall of Fame.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Just because you don't have the ring doesn't mean you're not there. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, they, they haven't raised my name. So, uh, uh, but, uh, I did have to sell, uh, uh, my, uh, WWE Hall of Fame to, 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 to gain, um, uh, uh, medication for my liver transplant. And so it, it was a sacrifice, uh, a material thing, uh, uh, I regretted doing it, but I had to, to stay alive. Right. You know, so, That's important. Uh, that's important, yeah. I had to stay alive so I could do this interview. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, by the way, Philadelphia, um, I will say that, uh, Philadelphia is one of my all-time favorite wrestling, uh, cities. Um, of course, going back to wrestling in the Spectrum. And, uh. Um, the old Spectrum. They just knocked that down, Billy. They leveled it, yeah. Uh, they, they, they leveled the Spectrum and, uh, um, I remember, uh, uh, especially, uh, um, uh, my, uh, uh, my, uh, cage match, uh, in the spectrum with, uh, um, against Bruno San Martino. And, um, uh, we, uh, had a cage match and, uh, it was, um, on a Friday night and the following Monday, I, uh, dropped the, uh, uh, worldwide wrestling federation belt of Bob Backman. But on this night in the spectrum, uh, it was sold out, and uh, about five o'clock the local news came on and, and made a local news broadcast to the uh, local community and surrounding suburbs of the Philadelphia to, to the uh, general public to not go to the spectrum because it was completely sold out and they had like five to ten thousand people trying to get in wow. to see this cage match between Bruno and I. And uh, So that set the all time attendance record uh for the spectrum for any event ever held in the spectrum and so uh Philadelphia's always had a special place uh uh for me uh and the the fans were just uh just fantastic and especially that night against Bruno in a cage uh with that huge, huge crowd
0: and uh turning away thousands of people was very very, very very cool well, and wrestling was such a spectacle back then, I mean you guys uh, it wasn't the the story it wasn't the uh, the theater that it that it is today it was uh you know K was alive people people really believed what they were seeing, and it was an event it was an event you and bruno that it was uh, you know quite similar to like a boxing match or an M- MMA match today yes, uh, there's no question about it of course uh
1: Bruno San Martino being legitimately the living legend yep. if there was ever a, a catchphrase uh, uh to go with your name that fit someone that fit Bruno uh uh he was literally uh and still is uh, of course idolized uh, uh at the time uh, uh by uh, uh you know hundreds of thousands of, uh, of fans and uh, uh, rightfully so and um uh, it, it was a different it was a different feel uh, there was no question about it there was such um, there was such intensity i think would be the word uh, to use uh in that in that era right uh, uh, compared to the era that we're in now the the era we're in now it seems to be there's a lot of uh, uh, the wrestling fans of the general public it seems to be a lot of uh, laughter to it and, and showmanship and, and uh, showmanship and, and and the fans and the general public not taking it as serious as they took a Bruno San Martino. When Bruno San Martino came to your city, uh, you set up and took notice. Yeah. And, uh, uh and so, uh, there has been something lost. Uh, they, they've lost, they've lost the intensity, uh, through the years. Um, Events, of uh, um, um, uh, uh, altering, altering the, uh, spectacle of professional wrestling and, and basically, uh, I think kind of degrading, uh, the, the, uh, spectacle of professional wrestling and definitely losing the, 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 um, uh, the, 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 uh, intensity of the matches and the crowd interaction with the wrestlers w- was, um, uh, was something special
0: that uh, that 's definitely been lost well vince doesn 't even like to use the term wrestling Correct. anymore he, he likes sports entertainment and when you guys were in the ring you would tell a story and it was like two guys legitimately didn 't like each other and would go into the ring to settle a score now that magic is lost that you don 't have that feel that that the two guys legitimately hate each other yes
1: there 's no question about it the, uh, the, the, the fans the fans paid to see revenge. They paid to see Bruno San Martino win, and they paid to see his opponent lose, and they believed in it with their heart and soul. I had never seen, even to this day, uh, and including Hulk Hogan, I had never seen wrestling fans so um, uh, um, uh, admiring a, a wrestler as Bruno San Martino was literally worshipped. Uh, by his fans, and I've, uh, to this day, including Hulk Hogan, uh, at his prime, at his top, uh, I've never seen, uh, such a loyalty to a, to a wrestler as, as there was, uh, to, uh, Bruno San Martino
0: Now, you mentioned Hulk Hogan. You were an inspiration to a lot of the top, top performers in the business. Scott Steiner, I saw you take a picture with him. He he, he borrowed your look. Hulk yes. Hogan, the same thing with the multicolored beard. Jesse Ventura, Dusty Rhodes and yourself had a lot of similarities. Those guys all, I can paint a line to those guys in Superstar Billy Graham as far as, you know, being good on the microphone, that look, that style. But who inspired you? Oh, uh, I... I uh
1: Personally, uh when I started wrestling, um, uh, I was I had always been a fan of Muhammad Ali. Okay. And uh, remain a, a fan. Uh, uh he just celebrated his seventieth birthday, uh, as a lot of us know, uh and is afflicted with Parkinson's disease. Uh Uh, but, uh, I was, uh, had been a major fan of Muhammad Ali and, and, and followed him very closely because I, I felt that he was the ultimate entertainer. Right. Uh, of course, a legitimate uh, world champion boxer, but, uh, he added such a entertainment ingredient to the spectacle that he just captured your imagination and, and, and I was, um, uh, a, a huge fan of Ali and used him to inspire me in, in my wrestling profession, my career. Uh, I copied Ali, uh, his uh, rhymes, and all of his little poems, and I just altered them to fit wrestling instead of boxing. And so my inspiration. Was Muhammad Ali?
0: Now, was all that stuff off the cuff when you went in there and you said the man of the hour, the man with the power, too sweet to be sour? Did you think about that on the flyer, or would you sit there and oh, write that oh, stuff oh, out?
1: I, I would. Th- I would. I would think about it. I, I Ali had cut a, a uh, an old seventy-eight, uh, one of those big, the big, the big, the big. Uh, uh the, the big albums and of of rhymes and i memorized every rhyme he had ever uh, he had ever cut and um, and so i would uh uh use these lines and i would alter them to fit pro wrestling and then i would add to the rhymes and think uh of what would uh, basically uh uh make it a little more maybe a little more colorful but definitely to fit um uh, the wrestling scene, as opposed to the boxing scene, but Ali uh, uh, was was my pure and and, and sole uh, only uh, inspiration, uh, and I took all of my stuff uh, uh, from Ali. Uh, of course, you had to have talent to pull off what you took from the man, <laughs> <laughs> but but he was my uh, my inspiration, and uh, uh, he was, I believe, the ultimate entertainer. Uh, in professional sports, uh,
0: no question about it. Now, a lot of your health problems were either directly or indirectly attributed to your involvement in professional wrestling. And in the 1990s, you were very outspoken against Vince McMahon and the WWE for some of the things that happened during the 70s and 80s. Have you patched things up with Vince? Are you guys on good terms today?
1: Uh, no. <laughs> uh, well, Vince and I, uh, uh, we have really had a, have had a uh, love-hate relationship uh, for some reason, um, um, uh, the the final blow, of course, uh, came when I sold my Hall of Fame ring. Yeah. Uh, he, he he couldn't he couldn't quite accept uh, my reasoning, which was life and death for medication. I thought that was very easy to understand uh, my plight to stay alive and needing money for medication, but Vince um, had a major problem with me selling uh, the Hall of Fame ring, uh, and that kind of finally uh, put the nail in the coffin of our uh, relationship, and um, uh, like I said, it was a love-hate kind of relationship for years and years prior to that, but that was the final blow, uh, was selling the uh, Hall uh, Hall of Fame ring. And uh, he just couldn't accept uh, that I would do that. And it was abso- absolutely no respect to the ring or the Hall of Fame. It was a matter of survival for medication.
0: Right, so, right. Yeah. Now, that's that's fair enough. Now, you've had so many different uh, kind of iterations of your character over the years. You obviously have a very colorful character in the 70s and the early 80s. And then you went to the NWA and you became a karate fighter for a little mm. while. <laughs> that had to be a little different.
1: Yeah, that... Uh and I also took the karate gimmick, that look, uh, into the, uh, back to the, uh, WWF. Okay. Of, uh, for, a, for a season. And I, and I did that out of, um, actually I did that, um, I changed my, my look from the bleach blonde and the tie dye to the, uh, uh, black karate, uh, look with a black mustache out of despondency, uh, for being stripped of my title, I felt, uh, unjustly, um, it was kind of a rebellion, uh, when Bob Backlund was, uh, given, given the, uh, the belt, uh, from me, uh, that it was so, uh, it, it affected, it really affected me, uh, even though, of course, uh, it, it's a total work and, uh, predetermined and, uh, I knew it was coming, um, but it, it was such, um, to, to, to actually see a, a young man, uh, Bob Ackman, receive such an important belt without having the experience and the charisma to follow Superstar Billy Graham and Bruno San Martino and and uh, it was very uh, it was it was an outward it was an outward um uh appearance of an inward darkness that I felt. I felt a very foreboding attitude uh, when I had to give up the belt to uh Nothing against Batman personally. It was just his lack of charisma that I felt it was totally unjust to give such an important title to a young man who had absolutely no charisma whatsoever. When he
0: kept that title for so long
1: and and, and didn't really draw that well, right? And he, it, he kept that title for almost seven years, six full years, and Vince McMahon Sr., Vince McMahon Sr. had to uh, load the cards I just see two friends from the Netherlands walk by that I email back and forth. Can you imagine that? Two guys came all the way from the Netherlands.
0: These conventions, spring 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 out of- convention. yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: it's absolutely fantastic. And um, uh, I, I, uh, uh, I, I'm sorry, I lost, I lost track of some of two friends, but it was a question. Was, oh, uh, Backman, when, Backman, back when, yeah, six years, uh, uh, six years, and and uh, uh, Vince McMahon Sr. was so stubborn, he knew he had made a mistake. By putting the belt on back, and he had to load the cards to draw crowds, and, and um Uh, I felt it was very, very unjust and um, uh, uh, of having to load these cards up to draw a house because your champion couldn't draw on his own. And um, this McMahon Sr. actually came to Dusty Rhodes and I personally. Uh, uh, Dusty and I were on a card supporting Backlund, Uh, uh, in Madison Square Garden, and Vince McMahon Sr., this is a true story now, folks, came to Dusty Rhodes and myself and said, is there any way you two guys can talk to Bob Backlund and help get him some charisma? (laughs) That is the truth, uh, wrestling fans. That was a direct question from Vince Sr. to Dusty Rhodes and myself asking if we could help Bob Backlund get charisma. And I said, well, why don't you just get rid of Bob Backlund and put the belt back on me? And you won't have to worry about teaching charisma, which is impossible to do, to Bob Backlund. I told Vince McMahon Sr. that you had made a horrible mistake uh, by choosing Backlund uh, to become your champion when you had people like myself and Dusty Rhodes uh, with so much charisma uh, that um, we were drawing and turning away people, and then you have a young man come in who was just flat. Yeah. Just flat. And I mean, can you imagine the promoter asking you, if, is there any way you can help my champion and get charisma? That's, that's that it
0: factor. You either have it or you don't. You
1: either have it or you don't. And, um, uh, and, and we said, no, we cannot help him get charisma, because he's beyond the point of no return.
2: <laughs>
1: and we, of course, didn't I didn't even attempt, and uh, I never had a conversation with when and Dusty Rhodes said, are you kidding me, uh, Vince? I'm not going to try to tell this guy how to uh, get charisma. Uh, it's just like you just said, you either have it or you don't. You can refine your presentation uh, uh, when you're charismatic and, and sharpen your game, of course, but if you don't have anything to start with, is as as a lost cause. Yeah, the, you can't build on nothing. You can't build on nothing. Okay.
0: Right, so you went through the uh, the black period, then you came back to the tie-dye, you managed Don Morocco, you had that uh, that famous incident with Greg the Hammer Valentine, I guess Greg was in the ring with Ricky Ataki, and you came in, made the save, and uh, Greg put you out of commission, and uh, you did some announcing work after that, kind yes. of faded away, and uh, and that was kind of your exit to the business in the late 80s, right? Yes, that's 89. exactly
1: right, that's exactly right. Uh... I had, I had, I had, already had a hip replacement in 1987, uh, and, um, uh, Vince felt that, uh, uh, and I also felt that actually my physically wrestling ability was gone, uh, because, um, uh, of the hip replacement and my lack of mobility mm-hmm. and my ankles had had, had started crumbling uh, and my lower back had collapsed from the overuse, uh, prolonged use and heavy doses of, of anabolic steroids uh, that cut off the blood supply to the joints and caused your bones to die and so um, I had no business in the ring um, uh, but I, uh, I made a, uh, uh, an ill-fated uh, uh, comeback uh, and um, uh was unable to perform up to standards and Vince Jr. thought I would be a good manager uh, for Don Morocco because could I could still cut a promo and talk. Sure. Uh and um, I actually did that uh did that for a season and, and then uh it, it actually became too difficult to, to literally travel uh with all the pain that I was in. Uh and so uh we finally had that match with uh Greg the Hammer Valentine in Oakland, California. And, um, uh, put a, put his famous, uh, uh, figure four, uh, to hold uh, on me. And, uh, I basically tapped out before tapping out came into existence. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, they had, to, they had to, took me out on a stretcher. And, um, uh, it was really, um, looking back, it was a, a really, uh, sad way to, yeah, in my career, it's too bad I didn't have the presence of mind to have just stop and not even come back, right? Uh, but um, I really, honestly had not saved my money, and I really wanted some more paydays. Yeah. And the pay scale had started going up, and I wanted to take advantage of it. But it was very ill-fated and a very uh, unwise decision. And so that's uh, how I made my exit uh, from uh, selling on Massachusetts Garden and a very interesting statistic, I'll throw in real quickly about uh, Madison Square Garden uh, and sellouts I, I have the record for the highest percentage of sellouts in Madison Square Garden I don't have the record for as many sellouts because of course Bruno San Sammartino uh, having been champion for so many years and of course Bob Backlund um, have more sellouts than me but I had 20 out of 21 main event sellouts in Madison Square Garden which set the all-time highest percentage of sellouts outs the Madison Square Garden. And, and oddly, ironically, the only one that did not sell out was against the high chief, Peter Maiva. <laughs> and we, we, uh, the, the upper, uh, the main building held about 22,000 people in the main auditorium of the garden. And we, we had about uh, 21,000 folks. We were about 1,000 folks short of a sellout. And Vince Sr. told me that he projected it would not sell out because nobody believed that a high chief from Samoa would be the next WWF champion. Huh. And that was the reason it would not sell out, but we, came, we still came within 1,000 people of selling it out, uh, even with the, that mindset that Vince felt. And it was basically true that I don't believe the fans thought that they were going to see a Samoan chief Become the new champion, but yet there was still so much um, excitement involved and uh, uh, charisma involved. And I had never worked so hard in all my life to put a match over as I did against uh, Peter, uh, who, um, of course, was one of my mentors in San Francisco in 1972 when I was tag team ch- uh, partners and champions with Pat Patterson. Uh, the High Chief, uh, before he became the High Chief, uh, was one of our opponents. And, and he would always take me aside and and, and and walk through the match and show me things that I'd done wrong. And so it was a great honor to wrestle uh, Peter uh, my, my via in Madison Square Garden as a main event. And I did everything in my power to guarantee a sellout uh, with him and we came a thousand folks short. Uh, for the very reason that, uh, the Vince felt that the people didn't believe, uh, they would actually see a Samoan chief become the new champion. Maybe he shouldn't have booked him in the main event. Well, he shouldn't have booked him in the main event, but we still drew 21,000 people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and there were other main events that, uh, had been booked that, uh, had drawn only 15,000 people, uh, including, uh, Bruno martino as the champion. So, um, in past years. And so, uh, we still drew 21,000 people. with well, them knowing he's not going to win. So uh, that was quite amazing.
0: Well, Billy, today it is a show. It is a spectacle. It is entertainment. And I guess one of the biggest complaints that I hear when I talk to the, the, uh, the older generation of professional wrestlers is a lot of the guys today, they all look the same. They all look, they all have that 220-pound chiseled body frame with long hair. Everybody looks the same as opposed to when you were wrestling. Everybody was different shapes, different sizes different characters it does that hurt the business today is that why professional wrestling is not in let's say a golden period right now
1: I think um, something has been lost Uh, now I just recently um, I I, I never I never watch uh, I never watch anymore because uh, once you've uh, been champion and you've seen it, you once I've seen it all there's nothing left to see. Yeah. And once you've heard it all there's nothing left to hear. That's basically a Bob Dylan line, a big big, big Bob Dylan fan. And that's a couple that's a couple lines out of one of his songs. Uh, I, I've seen it all, so there's nothing left to see. And I've heard also nothing left to hear. And so basically the fans have seen everything there is to see. And the new generation really, um, uh, with all of the, uh, script writing, uh, with all the writers, um, uh, writing your promos for you, uh, that leaves very, very little, uh, chance for the, A participant to be an original, to have and participate and give an original thought into a promo because it's already been written out by a team of writers. Right. Not even necessarily wrestling fans as writers. No, of course not. No, no, no. Just writers, professional writers. Right. And so the the product. uh, uh, I I did watch it about a month ago uh, in Phoenix. I live in Phoenix. I was born and raised there. And I did watch a whole segment of Raw one night, just to, from start to finish, just to see what the product really looked like. And I just found it so so boring and just so uh, so scripted. And, and 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 now the problem is now the problem is you've lost Shawn Michaels. And of course, it started with the loss of Eddie Guerrero, dear Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. And now Shawn Michaels is retired. Now uh, uh, the, the, we're, we're we're losing the 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 real legends. Yeah. Uh, I guarantee you, uh, uh, when the um, Undertaker uh, defeats uh, Triple H at this coming WrestleMania, that'll be the Undertaker's 20th straight uh, WrestleMania win, I believe. Yeah. And uh, that'll be his last match. And the Undertaker will be gone. Shawn Michaels is gone. Triple H is basically not wrestling, and there is no talent. There is no talent equivalent to the talent that was there in years gone by. Real, real, real talent. And the younger generation uh, that is taking over and stepping up, and basically no fault of their own, uh, they just don't have the talent that uh, a Shawn Michaels or an Undertaker, uh, who really is my all time favorite. Uh, Uh, performer I was mesmerized uh, by The Undertaker when he first came on the scene and then uh, of course uh, Triple H and and folks like that uh, uh, these guys are gone now and and, and you just can't replace these people and so there's a dilemma there's a real problem of talent uh, uh, the, the, uh, these younger kids are working as hard as they can. I, I, I watch them wrestle, and, uh, and, and they're trying the best, the best they can. But uh, you, you just there's something missing. There's something there's something missing in the product today. That um, uh, it seems like the real char- charisma, the charismatic uh, ingredient is is missing, and especially with the um the, the, the monologues of the interviews that they, they're forced to do uh, with the writers and everything, uh, it, it's really been, um, I think the glory, the glory days are gone forever.
0: So. Talk, talking to Jimmy Hart, and Jimmy did some work with the WWE back at SummerSlam. And he did a little promo backstage with R-Truth. And he said it was the first time that he'd done some things with the WWE in a long time. And he said it was just so different because Jimmy Hart could take an idea, spit it out on the camera, and really make, it, make the fans feel it. And this was the first time that he ever had to deal with a writer handing him a script. He had to read it seven or eight times and then speak to it on the camera. And it's just so much different. And that's why, in my opinion... And maybe it doesn't even matter what my opinion is because they still make a billion dollars a year. But that's why the so, product is missed. There's just not that special feeling anymore when you when you go into a WrestleMania.
1: Yes, there's not that there's not that um, uh, there's not that anticipation yeah. of, of of a, of a WrestleMania. Uh, and and um, uh, I'll never forget that. Uh, uh, in uh 84 after I was inducted to the uh, I'm sorry 204 after I was inducted to the Hall of Fame um uh, uh they gave me uh, Vince gave me a, a week run around the territory just to go out be introduced and um, uh to go uh, on the road uh and uh, uh in the northeast when all the towns uh, the, were booked around uh, the northeast that particular week yeah. and uh, in the garden and um uh, uh it was it was amazing to see the um the the lack of uh... uh... The, the the lack of spontaneity and the lack of charisma and and i'll never forget randy orton actually came up to me and and asked me in one of these towns um, uh... superstar uh, of you, you've been watching all this what do i do do you have any suggestions for me uh... randy orton and uh... i said yeah you need to be a heel for one thing because you you have a, a natural arrogance about you, right? Uh, you know you're a nice guy, <laughs> but you you're, you have a natural arrogance about you that should be utilized, and um, uh, it, it just seems that um, uh, the, 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 it's been lost the spontaneity and the and and, and, I, and I had to do uh, I had to do an interview during that week. And I'll never forget. It was so funny because Stephanie uh, McMahon was still involved at the time, and she came over to the table in the catering room and sat down next to me uh, with the with the uh, with the writer script, and she, she started laughing. And she's now superstar, and I really I really have, was very fond of Stephanie. Um, uh, we, we got along uh, we got along great. I was very fond of Stephanie, and she started laughing. And she says, "I know this is very strange." for you to be to be uh handed a a script uh but but this is what we we would really like you to to say this is the i said well that's fine i said let me look at this thing i've never really had a script before but i'm sure i can adapt to it i of course i took it all in a good spirit I wasn't going to rebel, uh, and um, and so I, I I said this is a, a pretty good storyline here uh, for this interview, and uh, it was a, uh, an interview about Randy Orton, and uh, and I said this is a, this is just some pretty good thoughts here. I said uh, I, I can pull this off. I, I don't think it'll be word for word, but I can get uh, uh, what you want off and uh, uh, pulled off, and I think it's going to work, and so. um Uh, we, uh, it it was, it was the first time I had any uh, girls involved in the interview. It was Candace Michelle had just come on the scene (laughs) and, 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 and Stacey Keebler. Uh, and so I was the sandwich in between those two girls. (laughs) Not a bad place to be. Yes, I lost my train of thought. (laughs) And I said, well, this isn't a bad idea after all, uh, this, uh, this script (laughs) writing stuff. But, but of course I, uh, uh, I, I, I'm just watching uh, this young lady walk by. Um, Sonny. Uh, Tammy uh, yeah. uh, just, uh, just distracted me. The <laughs> The original. <laughs> Obviously, the, original the, the original diva. Yeah, the original diva. There is, uh, such a sweet lady. Such a sweet lady. Uh, and uh, my, I, uh, she made me, uh, caused me uh, to lose a train of thought because she's <laughs> s- uh, scantily dressed. I was going to say, must and be that, that shirt. Is shirt. It's the shirt. It's the shirt that's unbuttoned down to her belly button. <laughs> and uh, so I got distracted. But nevertheless, uh, I did do the interview and had had fun um, and, uh, and uh, had fun doing the interview and adapted uh, used a little of my own uh, addition to the uh, interview that was written and scripted for me and um, uh, and so um, uh, we pulled it off and uh, uh, of course, uh, I, I did not rebel let say I refuse absolutely not to use this uh, uh... scripted interview I just uh, I just adapted a little bit and and it worked out fine but th- that's a real problem when you when you have to uh, strangle your talent and and don't give them freedom to even think for themselves right you know and 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 have pre scripts um uh, written for them i think it's it uh it stifles their uh what uh natural ability they might have uh to uh to be a uh, uh, bring out their own charisma because um uh, uh, you have to study and remember all these, right. um, the these yeah. lines. You have to memorize lines yeah. and, yeah. and it takes, it's
3: just a
0: bizarre yeah. thing really. Yeah. And um uh, I remember. Do you remember the, the guy named Heidenreich? Uh, Heidenreich, yeah. The Heidenreich,
3: yeah,
1: yeah. In Phoenix, there uh, there they, had, they had a show in Phoenix, and 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 um, I went down to, uh, to see the boys and see the show, and and I remember uh, I had, had met Heidenreich, and he was over in the corner, and he was reading his script, and 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 uh, he was trying to study and memorize the script, and he kept looking <laughs> over at me, and he wanted to meet me because we had never <laughs> met before, and uh, and and he, and he and he kept looking back down the script and then looking over at me and looking at the script and so finally just threw the script down and got up and came over and sat down next to me and said i gotta meet you superstar my my name is uh, heidenreich and i said man it's it's great meeting you he said he's like i gotta memorize this damn script here brother (laughs) (laughs) he's like i gotta go back over here in the corner and memorize this thing i said it's better you than me brother because i couldn't memorize it and so that that was very bizarre that uh... Uh, and, and he was very frustrated uh, really to to be honest about it uh, uh, He was deep in thought and concentration and um, it was very bizarre uh, uh bizarre feeling to see a man uh trying to memorize a script and being frustrated and um, uh but he had to and so uh uh he apologized for um for cutting our uh quick uh, introduction visit short so that kind of sums it up I guess. <laughs>
0: Superstar Billy Graham, the man of the hour, the man with the power, too sweet to be sour. <laughs> I want to thank you. You know we've had we've had Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff and Jake Roberts. We've had so many great superstars in professional wrestling on this show. But right here, right now, right here today, this is kind of my favorite interview of oh. all time. Superstar Billy Graham. <laughs> thank you. Uh, true inspiration to what I do. And uh, you're well, just
1: well. Thank you. And by the way, I've heard nothing but. Uh, uh, tremendous feedback from from uh, uh my agent uh, Scott Epstein and, and other people about your show and uh, uh I'm proud to be on your show and I appreciate the invitation and, uh, and, and uh, of uh, the success of your show, and, uh, and of all the fans out there, I'd like to say a big hello and uh, uh, keep on enjoying uh, uh, Pro Wrestling, enjoying this show, and support this show. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure, and I appreciate uh, being on and the invitation to be on.
0: We appreciate it. Billy Graham in the VOC Wrestling Nation worldwide on VOCNation.com. Just awesome stuff with superstar Billy Graham, one of my favorites of all time. Remember that Ken and I will be switching away from our live format, so we're no longer going to a live call-in show on Wednesdays, but we'll be dropping new episodes of Wrestling With History starting on the week of September 14th, and we're going to be doing one year at a time, so Wrestling History from 1983 all the way up, until we can't go anymore. So Ken and I are going to take you back into the 80s. We'll look at all of the different territories at the time. We'll go through the calendar year and look at some of the best of the things that happened during that time. Want to remind you that this episode and this week at VOC Nation brought to you by My Bookie, winning season returns at My Bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means survivor, super contests, and squares. At my bookie, winning season means sitting all your parlays and your props with your feet up watching your team trounce their rivals. Rejoice! It's time to celebrate the NFL season. It's just a few short days away. Invest in your institution. Use the promo code VOCNATION and double your first deposit. No spaces in VOCNATION. It's just VOCNATION, all one word. New players get up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting at MyBookie. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, and collect your cash. Use the promo code VOCNATION. Double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today, only at MyBookie. We thank MyBookie for sponsoring the show, and we also ask you to just sign up. It's very easy. Win a few bucks and support this program by supporting our sponsors. So if you want to hear some classic stuff that Ken and I did, I'm going to take you back just a few short months ago, and this is a great interview that Ken Resnick and I did with Tito Santana on Wrestling With History. VOC Nation Wrestling With History worldwide on the VOC Nation radio network. Ken, we got an awesome guest this week. He's got a new book out and uh, we're going to talk all about it. He's the legendary WWE Hall of Famer, Mr. Tito
4: Santato. What's going on, Tito? Oh, not much, Bruce. Uh, look, really I've been looking forward to talking to both of you guys today.
3: T-
0: I'm Tito, so
3: it, 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 Tito, it's been way too long, and, and in full disclosure to everyone, I, I'm a, a little biased in calling... Tito Santana, truly one of the all-time greats, because I was lucky enough to have the privilege of working with and getting to know Tito not only in the WWF but the American Wrestling Federation uh, as well. And uh, working with him has always been a, a joy, and I'm sure tonight will be nothing different.
4: Ken, uh, we we do go way back, and uh, you know we did have some good times. Uh, we we... We were in the business, to me, in in the greatest times of professional wrestling, and you know we see we saw it uh, go through the transformation, and and you and I were a big part of it.
3: Yeah, it it was great, and to everyone, you know, either listening live Wednesday night, even though we, because of availability, pre-recorded this. As Bruce Wirt, the voice of choice, mentioned, Tito Santana has got a, a new book out, but I want to urge you, get pen and paper. We're going to tell you how you can get the book, how you can get a signed copy, and about an unbelievable, amazing offer that Tito has put together for those that by the book but now real quick and not to embarrass tito i know a lot of wrestling fans certainly know the name tito santana but to give you the idea of why i called him the all-time one of the all-time greats really quick two-time wwf intercontinental champion beating both the magnificent Don Morocco and Greg Valentine to win that title. Two-time WWF Tag Team Champion with Ivan Putzky and Rick Martel. King of the Ring in 1989. And this is certainly a, a bit of trivia that I, I don't think a lot of fans realized. It, not only did Tito Santana wrestle in the very first ever WrestleMania match. He went on to wrestle in the first nine WrestleManias. He was a two-time American Wrestling Federation champion, beating Bob Orton both times. And all told, Tito, I, I, I tried to count it up, and it was like all told well over 20 titles in his career, culminating with his induction to the WWE Hall of Fame in 2004. And to me, Tito, even more importantly, in 2013, Tito was inducted into the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, which actually exists. There is really a Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame building in Wichita Falls, Texas. Truly, one of the all-time
4: greats. Man, that sounds uh, that's, that sounds like a pretty good career, Kenny. I, I've forgotten some of the some of the titles, and, but, and, you know.
3: And what's amazing to me, as far back as we go, Tito, you're still every once in a while still wrestling today.
4: Yeah, wow. I, I, I I still enjoy getting in the ring. You know, I don't do. Uh, uh, my body can't take what I used to do, but, you know, uh, it, it's kind of fun to go in there and wrestle with young guys and, and show them, you know, how you can get more out of this in, in a match and, and how the people still, you know, uh, uh, react to old school, uh, psychology. And, you know, it, it's just fun, you know, and, and it's just good to hear the response to, you know, uh, from the fans because they, they just uh, appreciate the fact that I show up. Well,
3: I, I know doing the interviews uh, in both with you in, in WWF and in, in AWF. When I would look at the rundown sheet of who had interviews, I was always really happy when I saw I got to do some interviews with you. Now, what we talked about earlier. Now, Tito, we, we'll we'll talk about it. Years ago, you wrote a, kind of a a, a kids' book. But now you're out with a brand new, more of kind of an autobiographical book, a, a, a almost tell all that is available. You can get it by going to TitoSantana.com. It's S A N T A N A, TitoSantana.com. But, Tito, for those that order, before Christmas, you've got just something that to, to Bruce Wurt and I is, is absolutely amazing. Where tell tell the fans, tell us, you will actually call fans.
4: Well, yeah, we, we, uh, the the pre-orders are coming in, and you know the numbers are growing, and, and I'm very very happy with the results, and and I keep they uh, I, I hope that they that they keep growing. Uh, every day we get a few uh, pre-orders, uh, and I have promised the fans that uh, I, will make, be a, a, uh, I will be making a Santa Claus and I will be making a call for everyone that pre-orders a book before uh, before Christmas.
3: I, I mean, Tito, th- that's absolutely amazing. And, and I, I have to ask, I was talking to a fan today and telling them about it. Can someone, Tito... Go on your website, TitoSantana.com, <clears throat> buy a book to give someone as a gift and give you the information where you will call not, not the buyer, but the, who's going to be the recipient of your book. So, in other words, someone could give a, a, a wrestling fan in their life not only a, a signed copy of your book, but also would you, could you call them instead of whoever buys the book.
4: Yes, I can. I have a few orders like that already. So uh, once they they start placing the order, all they have to do is give them the information. I'll, I'll get the address where I'm going to send it to, and 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 who I'm going to be talking to, and and uh, the phone number, and uh, you know, it'll be good to go. Uh, it, it's because uh, you know I've already got some of those uh, the orders. Uh,
3: I, I mean, Bruce, can can you believe that as being able to? give a a gift to a wrestling fan, not only will they be excited to get a a signed copy of Tito's book, but suddenly out of the clear blue, they get a call from the great Tito Santana. I mean, that's just amazing.
0: Yeah. I, I think that that is modern technology allows us to do so many things today that weren't possible many, many years ago, and there's a lot of interaction that fans can get on Twitter and on social media. But I still think the old school, just a telephone call one-on-one between yourself and somebody that you idolized is uh, is one of the coolest things ever. And, uh, and Tito, this is just a, a great touch to this book, and I, I think it's an awesome gift for the holiday season.
4: Well, I, I agree, you know, and, and and one of the reasons – uh, everybody knows, well, not everybody, but a, a lot of people know that I'm, I'm a school teacher and, you know, that takes up a lot of my time and I go out and do appearances uh, on the weekends. And the reason I keep doing appearances is because uh, it's amazing how many fans, you know, uh, come up to me and, and, and thank me for memories and for childhood memories and and, and talk about, uh, you know, things that they remember about my career that, you know, I have forgotten. And, and it's, it's always so cool to, 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 to see the satisfaction. And, and now even with the, with, with, with the, the channel that the WWE has uh, uh, a, a lot of the young kids are, are wrestling fans. So we, we've got a, a, like a second or third life uh, in professional wrestling. I would have never thought that I'd still be, you know, be on the road, uh, you know, doing appearances and and, uh, meeting fans, you know, it's, uh, it's great.
3: And uh, Bruce, we would certainly be remiss if we didn't mention that Tito's new book, uh, he wrote with Kenny Casanova, known author and good friend of wrestling with history as well. And one other little tidbit that, that maybe we'll get into in a bit Tito, it is how you, got into wrestling, but for those that that only know Tito as a wrestler, he was an extremely accomplished tight end at West Texas University, and the quarterback that was throwing him the ball was none other than Tully Blanchard. So (laughs) talk talk about having a, a pedigree. Tito, now one of the things, and we haven't mentioned it, the book is called don't call me chico again we've talked about it's an autobiography a a lot of great stories you can get it you go to titosantana.com you can get it for yourself you can get it signed you can gift it to someone who will then i I still can't imagine uh, a, a young wrestling fan as tito talked about or an older longtime fan that all of a sudden, you know, the phone rings and he picks it up and, you know, hi, this is Tito Santana. Um, but Tito, in in today's, you know, society, which, which is so polarized and so many people are just get fixated uh, on anything that is deemed to be, politically incorrect or insulting or questionable. How did you come up with and decide to go with the title? Don't call me Chico. Well,
4: it was, it, it was, uh, it was a, a combination, a decision that Kenny and I made, you know, and, and uh, uh, cause I, I used to, you know, I talked to him about uh, how Jesse the body used to call me Chico <laughs> And and I used to go to, you know, I, I was never one to watch wrestling shows. And when I started getting to arenas and the fans started calling me Chico, I thought they were being insulting and it kind of pissed me off a little bit, you know, that they were calling me Chico. And then one day I was watching it and I saw Jesse the Body calling me Chico and Chico and Chico. And I realized, You know, it was because Jesse the Body was over so big on TV as a commentator. And in reality, Jesse and I were good friends. And, you know, Jesse was really trying to help my career. Uh, So we both decided that, you know, that that would be a good title. You know, Jesse the Body was, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, when him and Gorilla Monsoon were were doing the commentating in the WWE or WWF, you know, it didn't get any better than that.
3: Yeah, uh, I know it in my years, you know, working with you and and talking about Gorilla and Jesse and certainly Gorilla and, and Bobby Heenan on prime time, even though you know, I had seen most of the matches, you know, ahead of time before they were shown saw them live before they were shown on, on TV, oftentimes I would still watch a show just to see what Gorilla and Jesse or Gorilla and Bobby would say about them before and after. I mean, it, it was really must-see TV, even if you weren't a big wrestling fan. Those guys were just the best ever.
4: Yes, they were.
0: Tito, was, now, were some of the things that, that – I'm sorry to, to jump in there, Ken. Were some of the no. things that that those guys said – did, did they ever borderline uh, or or cross that line with you? Because the, lots of racially or uh, uh, you know background sensitive stuff that that especially Bobby Heenan would say was that something that ever made you uncomfortable. I know they're putting you over, but um, again, it's a very very fine line sometimes that that was walked back then.
4: No, because you know uh, uh, Kenny can tell you. You know Kenny was in the business and. You know, uh, uh, professional wrestling was a fraternity. You know, we'd go in there and we'd compete with each other, and we'd beat the crap out of each other. Uh, but w- when those guys were were uh, were, were saying things, it's the, you know, and, and the more they knocked you, is uh, I, I think it's the more they liked you. You know, Jesse, the I mean, Bobby Heenan used to say, "Yeah, I met uh, Tito Santana uh, selling hot dogs in, in Mexico, living with his family in, in, the, in the '56 Chevy," and you know. Uh, that would uh, that you know uh, I I I don't think you could get away with it nowadays, but you know back then you know it, it helped my career and and, and uh, neither one of them had a had a, a racial bone in their body.
0: Yeah, that was my my follow up to that was was just that where you had the, all the controversy surrounding Jim Cornette and his comments on the NWA uh, Power Show regarding. Um, you know, a, a uh, an insensitive joke about uh, hunger and um, that that could have been uh, racist as well. And you had all of that stuff that people used to say back in the 80s about you. And my question to you is, could Jesse the Body Ventura and or Bobby Heenan in those gimmicks, the way that they spoke, could they exist today, or would they be thrown off of TV very quickly?
2: no
4: I, 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 those guys were so smart and so intelligent uh, about the, about the business uh they 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 would figure out a way to to, to get uh, you know get the, the wrestlers over in in the ring cuz that's what it was all about uh they were there to get heat uh and guerrilla Monsoon was the baby face and and uh you know they they could do it without uh without being racial you know uh at the time, they could get away with it, so they used it to the to, to their advantage. But you know, those guys were so smart that you know uh, I don't. There's no doubt in my mind that uh, they could pull it off uh, today, just just like they did back then. Absolutely. You know,
3: T- Tito, we're gonna get more into. Some of the stories, uh, you know, in, in the book, and remind everyone they can get it at, at titosantana.com. dot com. But you brought up a good point that I've often thought about. Back when you know we were together in, in the '80s in the WWF, the '90s in, in the AWF, and granted it was still the the kayfabe era, but it really was the the word you use I, I, I think is, is absolutely on point. It was still, when you got off camera, it really was kind of a fraternity where everybody was really pretty much pulling for everybody else. And, you know, we get reports today of of, of more backstabbing and and more unrest, you know, in the locker rooms. And I've often thought that maybe the reason I want to pose this to you back in those days there there was good money in professional wrestling but not the astronomical money that's in the business today and do you think that that potential huge earnings might be one of the reasons that the business has kind of become less of a fraternity well uh...
4: Ken, I, I have no idea what the atmosphere is in, in, in professional wrestling in the WWE or other places uh, anymore. Uh, you know, I, I think the difference is, you know, we didn't have guaranteed contracts. We we yeah. we had to we had to draw. We got paid on the crowds. If we didn't draw, uh, we we would make as much money. So everybody in the card would go out there, and, and we'd go out there. I mean, pretty much, I'm pretty sure you remember this. Uh, if you put on a good match, I went out there to try to steal the show, you know, and everybody had the same idea. You know, we sure. would make it very difficult. So the fans that were, were watching the show, I mean, they would get one good match after another, after another, after another. And, you know, they'd go home exhausted and and, and hopefully – you know, ready to uh, buy buy a ticket for the next show. You know, we relied totally on, 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 on the people who bought the tickets that night. You know, we didn't have a, uh we didn't have the TV revenue uh, like they do now. Uh, merchandising started, you know, in in about that era, but uh, you know, it's completely changed now.
3: Yeah, and, and one of the other big differences that. I've noticed, and Bruce and I have talked about so much, is back in the day, in the 80s and 90s, when we were together, the the angles and pushes and, and storylines pretty much either originated from, from what was done on interviews and what was done in the ring, and now it just seems that so many of the, the storylines are kind of based on these artificial vignettes or, or uh, uh, it was like, yeah, you know, watching WWE, you know, recently, you know, two of the big storylines are about uh, one woman cheating on her husband with another, uh, another, another, A woman, don't know who the father is because she cheated on the wrestler. And I I, I turned into to to SmackDown the other night for a minute, and here's Roman Reigns handcuffed and they're throwing dog food on him. And I'm kind of going like, boy, back in the day, I I couldn't even have fathomed that's what would be driving as storylines today.
4: Well, you know, back then the people wouldn't buy it. You know, back then uh, they they wanted to see realistic things. You know, they wanted to see the good guy go against the bad guy, and 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 uh, uh, the, the the bad guy would have to cheat, and and uh, and maybe the manager, and uh, you know, there, there were some some uh, you know stories that the people could really you know bite into the story and 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 uh, and want to be part of it, and, and then we could follow up with a match of, of what the, what we were saying. You know, the wrestler from today, uh, I remember when I went in to introduce Alberto, Alberto Del Rio in uh, one of the Raws uh, you know, several years ago, they gave me a script, and I was nervous as hell because I had to memorize it. I, I didn't want to mess up the, the script that they gave me. You know, we used to be able to talk from the heart, and, and the fan could feel, you know, what, what, we, were, what we were trying to get across, you know, they, they, they felt what we were saying, they felt, and then in the match, we would even make them feel it more, you know, and we were able to continue the story that we were, with our, with our interviews, uh, with the match, you know, and, and then the, the return match, and you know, the story could go on forever and ever and ever, and, and, and you know, me and Greg Valentine, we, we, we wrestled each other for about a year and a half, pretty much every night, you
3: couldn't get away with you know, it now. Well, I, I think part of that is the Internet. But one of the things I've and I've talked to Bruce with, about this on, on other shows, you know, back in in our times together, you know, along with yourself. But there were, you know, like Hulk Hogan and, and you know, the Macho Man and Roddy Piper and, and, and Georgie Animal Steel. that that were larger than life. And it was because so much of of your and and their interviews were, were so believable. And as you said, so much passion put into it. And now it's, it's like wrestlers are trying so hard to remember what they're supposed to say that the, 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 the passion just, isn't there and and the business is more brand than than larger than life superstars.
4: Yeah, you know, and and I I I I don't think from what you know I don't watch it, but I do keep hearing that the ratings aren't that great and, and they're not drawing. I mean, we used to sell out Medicine Square Garden uh, once a month. <laughs> Uh, and they go to Madison Square Garden maybe once or twice a year, and and a lot of times they don't even sell it out. Uh, You know, so uh, is is the product as good, or or was the product better back then? You know, I believe uh, the product uh, was better back then.
3: I'll tell you something that I think is going to surprise both of you. Uh, This Sunday here in in Minneapolis, WWE is in town with their pay-per-view Uh, TLC table ladders and chairs and and, Tito when you talk about not selling out this absolutely shocked me (laughs) but on Black Friday the the Target Center where the the big arena where the event is they were running a Black Friday special buy one ticket for TLC get another one free
4: yeah and oh wow that's what's happening and as you said, we'd go to Madison Square Garden,
3: and there would be people scalping tickets on the street, and now it's, it's you know, buy one, get one. And, Tito, you, you know, I've talked about it. You can attest, over the years, you and I probably did certainly a few hundred interviews together. We never rehearsed any of them. You, sometimes we'd know the building, the match, the, the angle, but we would just basically do the interview and and with you and, and anyone else the only time we would really redo one sometimes we you know myself or the talent we'd kind of look at each other and say you know that just didn't sound really believable i let's do that one over and, and now the believability is, is
4: almost a, a non-factor i i totally agree you know uh that that's what I mean. I mean, <laughs> we'd be there just waiting, uh, you know, they'd call your number and, and you'd come stop whatever you were doing and you, uh, get in there and, and, you know, you, you introduce the, 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 person and, uh, we'd walk into the scene and, and, you know, the interview would take off and, you know, the, the storyline, it, it's like, uh, we would be able to, con- you know, it was like a soap opera and, and we just, we, we would build, uh, you know the rising action: first week, second week, third week, fourth week. We, we would be ready to kill each other, and you know, and 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 the and, uh, you know the, the guys that were doing the interview like yourself, uh, you you just knew how to lead us too, you know, and, and you had the right questions, and you know, it, it wasn't just the wrestler; it, it, uh, you guys were so important too, uh, you know, in, in getting the interviews over.
3: Yeah, uh, it, it was certainly the the glory days, and, and I think. <laughs> Tito, and again, you know, really anxious to to get your take. And Bruce and I have talked about it many times. You know, like you said, you know, the angle with you and and Greg the Hammer, you went about a year wrestling each other. And and many times in in house shows, you know, we'd be 10, 12 straight days. But you could almost do pretty much the same match. But now with the internet it's like almost before the wrestlers leave the ring in a house show the whole country knows what happened in the match.
4: Right. Yeah, and, and back then you could get away with it. I mean, we we'd go you, you know, we'd go on a three-week uh, tour and and you know, we'd have we would have the same match, you know, uh Of course, it's like if you memorize a script, it's always there's going to be one or two words that are going to be left out. So there was one or one or two little different things because uh, even though we had the same idea and the same outcome that was going to be in the match, uh, every wrestling fan uh, area was was different. You know, you you might do something in in California that that uh, would get over big time and you'd come and do it over here in Madison Square Garden, and then you wouldn't get this anywhere near the same kind of response uh, from the people in the East Coast, you know. So, and we were smart enough to, to uh, I remember Mr. Fuji, you know, taught me the business, you know, way back, and he'd say, you have to listen to the people. The people tell you what they want, and, and, and when you learn the ring psychology, that, that's what you would do. You know, we'd go, and, like, you could hear, you know, you could hear, you know, uh, uh, the good workers could could hear what the fans wanted, and 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 you could change on a dime in a match, you know, and and, and take it to to what the fans wanted.
3: You know, and, and that's one of the things. And you know, you've forgotten more about the business than, than I, I know. But watching to today, it just seems like that in ring psychology is, is is almost non-existent in some of the matches
4: well it's it's not important anymore and and, and and in the first place you know they'll never get it because you know uh they're not nobody nobody's there to teach them you know yeah you do have you do have a few wrestlers but you don't like we you know uh, we used to say that we, we, you know, when I came to New York before I got the, the Intercontinental title, I got married to Mr. Fuji, and Mr. Fuji, uh, his intent was to help me learn the business and, and, and learn how to get over. And, and you don't have the people that that are helping you anymore. You don't have the people uh, teaching you the, the ring psychology. You know. I, I remember the first match that I wrestled with Mr. Fuji, he would tell me, you have to learn timing, timing. And I used to say, timing? The only thing I know is how to tell you what time it is, you know, 7.30, uh, 8.30, you know. And, and, and he said, it's, you can throw a million drop kicks that don't mean diddly, but if you throw one good drop kick at the right time of the match, uh, you know, that'll make the match. He says, you've got to know... When to do what, and you know they always had the motto, you know, less is more. You know, if you do it at the right time, and and you know, it, it, that was a very hard concept. Our business is not an easy business to learn. You know that. You you saw a lot of a lot of great athletes who who just never got it.
3: Yep, yep, and and you know I I can certainly relate, and like you had. You know, Mr. Fuji from wrestling, you know, when I started in the in the AWA, I was so lucky to be able to to learn the business and, and learn, you know, from a talent standpoint, what goes into an interview and in the psychology. You know, from the likes of Blackjack Lanza and Nick Bockwinkle and Bobby Heenan and, and the Crusher and, and Mad Dog. And I think so much of that is just like you say, it just. It doesn't exist anymore, and and that's sad. I think.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> when I went left New York and and, and I went to, to the AWA in 1980, I mean, uh, everybody that you mentioned that, that was there, and then Dino Bravo and and, and uh, Big John Studd, and uh, I mean, every guy that was there was Manny Venner, you know, uh, uh, Ken Patera, you know, uh, Greg uh, and Brunzel and, you know, one guy after another, they were all main eventers, you know, from, you could sell out uh, St. Paul with with five matches. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, because every match was a main event match and and, and everybody was, uh, you know, was a better talker than another talker. Uh, that was the first time I ever saw uh, crusher. Uh, bringing in, you know, uh, and and uh, Jerry Blackwell bringing in gimmicks, you know, to do the uh, to do the interviews, you know, and it, it was—I mean, he—I learned so much in that territory. In it, it, I was there for two and a half years, and it was unbelievable the the experience that I got there.
3: Yeah, it, it was. You know, Bruce, let, you know, Tito and I touched on it, but from your standpoint. Do you think the the internet a, as a, a fan? Do you do you think that's helping or hurting from a fan's perspective? Do you do you like being able to find out and, and get all the kind of behind the scenes you know information, or did you do you like it or think it it was better when the element of surprise was there?
0: Well, it's interesting because you know, as as I've been blessed to be um, involved on the inside of the business for the last ten years or so, and and understand the inner workings, and it, it 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 gives you a jaded perspective. But just if you step outside of that and you watch wrestling as a fan, and and having the benefit now of the WWE Network and being able to watch some of the old Saturday Night's main events, and think about the fact that. They ran for the very first time on a Saturday night in the middle of the night uh, on any given Saturday, but they were pre-taped weeks in advance, and nobody knew what happened. Nobody had any idea what was going to happen, and everybody still watched. And the numbers came out in droves. And now, all of the wrestling shows almost have to be live if they want to draw anybody, because fans jump to the internet. And to me, that takes away from the product. The benefit is you have many more styles that are woven into the product today. So you have the style from Mexico, the style from Japan, and there's much more access to wrestling from around the world. So the performers take bits and pieces and they put it into the product. But I think the bad part is Tito and Ken, it's almost become like a, a, fake fighting gymnastics show it's not psychology it's not entertainment people aren't watching it you know for pseudo sport it's almost like the ones that are left watching the hardcore fans just want to see high spots and 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 i think that takes away from the product at least from my opinion
3: you know i i talked to a a friend of mine that went to their first ever you know wrestling match and i i asked him i said well what did you i wasn't winning but i said well what did you think of it and to your point bruce his answer really shocked me he said well to tell you the truth it felt more like it was i was at cirque de soleil yeah
0: that's exactly and yeah. i mean
3: you know which, which was sad
0: now tito you you are from mexico and a lot of the style that's employed today with the high spots um, that came over from Mexico, and and you had Eric Bischoff and WCW really embrace that that Mexican style in the late '90s. Is that something that you grew up? Did you work that style when you were coming up, or or was it just different back then?
4: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually from Texas. I I I, I, oh, I was. I, <laughs> I, I, I well, never terrible. <laughs> I never worked I never worked in Mexico. Uh I, I was born in Mission Texas which was 5 miles from the Mexican border. Uh but I I wasn't a wrestling fan. Uh so I uh, you know the, the the Mexican uh style was was so much different than than the American style. You know uh I I think you might have a point there. The, the Mexican style is, is kind of what what they do now in the ring. You know, when, when I used to watch it, I used to say, "Man, there's no rhyme or reason for what they do." I mean, these guys—one uh, high spot after another after another—unbelievable stuff that they could they can do in the ring. Uh, because for the for the most part, it, it, you know, the Mexican wrestler was a smaller wrestler than than the American wrestler, so you know, they were like gymnasts and, and they could do unbelievable things, you know, Ray Mysterio, I mean, who did more uh, unbelievable things in the ring than he did, and, you know, Ray Mysterio was, what, five, 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 six, 5'6", maybe weighed right. 180 pounds, you know, with, with, uh, with, with the complete outfit, you know, uh, soaking wet, you know, uh, in, you know, he was a small guy, but, I mean, people believed in his work, I mean, he did so, I mean, uh, i I watched one of his matches against uh the undertaker because you know I just wanted to see you know how could it be possible that a guy that's five 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 six beat uh going up against the undertaker and and, and I'll be darned, you know he made a believer out of me you know he was unbelievable in that ring of stuff that he did you know he made me believe that his 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 uh Technology in the ring. I mean, he's you know the way he worked. Uh, he had a chance, you know, against this big guy. Sure.
3: And again, we want to remind everyone: this is is not live tonight. If you're listening on on Wednesday night or, or downloading, we we pre-tape this. We are just privileged enough to to be joined by you know WWE Pro Wrestling Hall of Famer, the legendary tito santana and the reason we are here is because tito is out with a new autobiography called don't call me chico which is available at titosantana.com you can get signed copies and if you missed it tito has put together just an amazing amazing opportunity that if you pre-order before Christmas, not only will you get a signed copy of his book either for you or to give to someone as a gift, but Tito will actually call you or call the gift recipient, and you'll have a chance to talk to this legendary superstar. Now, Tito, let's get in to some of the stories in the book now we talked earlier about how mr fuji really helped you and taught you but i know in the book besides teaching there was kind of another side to mr fuji that a lot of the fans never get to never got a chance to see his legendary ribs
4: he was unmerciful. If 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 you were on the wrong side of Mister Fuji, uh, I mean, he would do some, I mean, crazy crazy stuff. Uh, you know, he was a good man, but you know, you don't want you did not want to be uh, on the wrong side of, of Mister Fuji. I mean, you know, there are some. Pretty good stories of uh, stuff that Mister Fuji did uh, to different wrestlers. What he did on the road. Uh, uh, I mean, God. Uh,
3: you, <laughs> I, I, why don't you, Tito, share? You know, one or two of those that, that, that you, you mentioned in the book, and then I've got well, my own Mister Fuji story.
4: You know, uh, I I I uh, I, I remember we were coming out of san antonio we had wrestled in san antonio and and we were flying from san antonio i believe uh going into into dallas uh and there was a guy there i, I was towards the front of of the plane and we were always tired cuz we i mean we wrestled 350 days a year so I, 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 I like to sleep on the plane. Well, a lot of the wrestlers, you know, uh, were, were raising hell in the back of the plane. And uh, this guy had just came out of prison. And he, I don't know why the, the boys, uh, uh, Hercules Hernandez and Mr. Fuji, and they were back there with this guy and they, they were screwing with him. And uh, apparently the guy went to sleep. And Mr. Fuji went to the bathroom and you know got a big turd and, and, and spread it on, on the guy's leather jacket. And when the guy woke up, uh, the guy had just came out of prison. He was really pissed off. And I remember him walking uh, past me when he was leaving the, the plane, and he said, uh, "I'm gonna kill me a wrestler." And I, I said, "What the hell's happened back there?" You know, uh, you know, I, I just didn't think nothing of it, but. You know, somebody told the security when we went outside, and when when his bags came out, uh, they made him open his bag, and, and he i will be damned if he didn't have a, a three fifty seven Magnum uh, in, in his bag. And you know, I believe he would have killed the wrestler if uh, somebody had some hadn't said something about that.
3: Yeah, fu- Fuji did have a. Uh, a, 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 a nasty side. He also had, had a playful side. And, you know, I had only been there a few weeks and I think he had been off. And when he came back, you know, we did a, a couple of interviews and then, you know, we got done and, and you know, we were just talking for a minute. And, and, you know, he always had that cane with him. And Fuji said to me, he says, I want to tell you something. And I said, What's that? He goes, when you get done with WWE, you have steel balls. And I was like, what? And he took that cane and bam, right south of the border. And from that point on, whenever we did an interview or once in a while when I would do ring announcing, when Fuji would come in the ring, I would always make sure I was to the side of him. Whenever he came over, I would always turn. And once in a while, fans would ask me, you don't like Fuji, do you? And I said, "Oh, I think he's great, but I never ever gave him a chance to use that cane again."
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, he he was a character, boy. Hey,
0: Tito, I was asking were... about <laughs> Sorry to this is a completely different subject and uh, I was going to work it in earlier, but you know, you talked about the booking and booking psychology and the importance of the backstage interview, but Late in the 80s, and it was really towards the end of your run there, Bruce Pritchard took on the Brother Love character, and and many people know Bruce, Pat Patterson, and Vince McMahon were primarily writing the TV back then, and I want to ask you, was was it by design that that Brother Love character was created because Bruce could he knew exactly what he wanted to do to get over the talents that were working the big storylines. Was that part of the thought behind creating brother love?
4: As I, opposed to just you, me and you know,
0: Gene Okerlund or, or, or the regular normal backstage segment.
4: I, I, I have no idea, you know, uh, the Pritchards, uh, you know, uh, he was a uh, had a brother in the business also and and they were very knowledgeable i met i met uh, Bruce Pritchard in in uh, in Houston and uh, you know he was in the office and he you know started telling me he never talked to me about this before but you know he told me he says uh, uh Paul Bosch wanted to put the the belt the the AWA belt you know, you were going to uh, go over uh, and, and beat uh, Nick Botwinkle in Houston because I got over real big with the Mexicans there in Houston. Uh, and he says, but they found out you were coming to New York, so they asked that idea, uh, I think, in, the, in like in the early 80s. And, uh, you know, and he says, and also in the WWF, uh, it was you and and uh, and Bret Hart and, and I think it was DiBiase uh, that were in discussions of uh, they were going to put the world title on, on one of us and of course Brett is the one that ended up uh, getting the title. Uh, so Good. Bruce, you know, just got more and more in, in, in you know into the office into the position of of like you said the, uh, being the, the matchmaker. Uh, I think he learned a lot from. Uh, from Pet, you know, Pet Patterson, you know, because he was around, you know, Pet for a long time, and from what I understand, I, I guess he's back in the WWE again. But you know, yeah. uh, there's so many guys that have great minds in, in in the business, but I don't really know that that you know the the, the old minds work for what they're trying to do now. You know, it's it's uh, now it's a TV show. It's not important to to know how to work. Uh, it's impossible to carry a, 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 an angle. Uh, A feud like we did back then for for months and months because you know like we're talking about you know uh, everybody knows what happens uh, goes from night to night to night night, you know uh, you just depend on on live shows and you have to go from one you know keep creating different different uh, storylines and and, and they're finding it very difficult to to create you know uh, I think people are sick and tired of you know too much talking and and not enough wrestling like uh, we we used to give them. More wrestling and less talking, you know, and, and the talking meant something, and now they just get up there and scream and holler and, you know, whatever. And uh, Something's got to change, I think, you know, but what do I know? You know, Tito, <laughs> you, you
3: brought something up, and uh, we don't want to uh, gloss over it, and I believe you talk about this in more detail in the book that wrestling fans probably didn't know that it really had come down to originally Ted DiBiase and then between you and Bret Hart, who was really going to get that next big you know, belt and, and title run uh, in the WWF that, that eventually went to Bret Hart. But it really was kind of between the two of you, and I think you talk about that a little more in the book, don't you?
4: Yeah, uh, because you know, uh, like I wasn't in the office. I wasn't a stooge. I, I you know, I, I, I didn't. You know, uh, I wasn't up uh, Vince's ear. You know, uh, or Pat's, or anybody else's. I just relied on my work. Maybe I should have uh, tried to get more into the office. But uh, when they told me that they were going to make me El Matador, uh Vince was planning on, uh, you know, Pat Patterson told me, we're going to go into South America, we're going to go into Central America, uh, and, you know, we're going to go into Spain, and, and you know, I, I wrestled in Spain in 1992, and, and, and I beat The Undertaker, and I feel, I think, I, you know, we completely sold out the arena in, in Spain, where, in Barcelona, where they played the Olympics uh, uh, basketball uh, games, uh, and I think, it, still then, they they were still Leading to towards going into the the Spanish market, you know, and there's so there were so many, you know, there was millions of people in Chicago, millions in California and Houston, and you know there there was a lot of Hispanics, so they were planning on going big in, in the way I saw it with me, uh, and then all of a sudden, I guess they figured that the the peso had a very very low valuation. And it was hard to get money out of Mexico, and it was hard to get money out of Central America and South America. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm not figured in. And all of a sudden, I'm putting guys over. Instead of uh, beating The Undertaker, I was getting beat by, you know, pretty much uh, everybody that they had planned on pushing. You know, it it, it made it, uh, uh, like, I think... Overnight bookings, in, in you know, uh, where, where they did the bookings uh, at, at TV or in, in Connecticut, you know, they decided to go a different way and, and they ended up going with bread and, and going after the Canadian market.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think at the time, if I remember, they really began to expand their television in, in Western
2: Canada,
3: and it, it, it's it's hard to believe, but even way back then, that so much uh, of the pushes were really dictated and predicated on television revenue. Uh,
4: That's exactly right.
3: You know, one other thing I I know you talk about in the book and because I was there was the backstage fight between Adrian Adonis and, Danny Spivey and a little bit uh, of kind of a window uh, for the fans into the business, uh, you know, like, like any business, you know, you work with people you really like, and sometimes you're forced to work with people for whatever reason you don't like. And, and I learned early on in the AWA and it sure carried into WWF that at house shows, If two guys were working with each other that everybody knew didn't like each other, as soon as the match would start, you'd always see the boys kind of coming out and peeking behind the curtain to, to watch the match because they never knew what might happen. And that night, I think it was at the Meadowlands, wasn't it, where it was Spivey and Adonis and the match was so out of control, I think it was one of the Hebners that just threw it out. But talk about what happened when they went back behind the curtain after the match.
4: Well, it was actually in in in, uh, in in I think it was in Peoria, Illinois, uh, where where it happened, and and uh, we were we had just we were gonna do uh, uh, back then we were doing two shows. I mean, Vince had like eight uh, eight Lear Jets, and we were doing four different cities uh you know uh, four lear jets would go to one city and uh, four would go to another city and we'd do an afternoon show and then we'd do a night show saturday and sunday they were working at butts off and uh uh dense uh, and michael tondo were had been partners and adrian adonis had, had been uh, messing with uh with i guess Den Spivey and michael tondo and you know, uh, I think that Adrian was, was an idiot. You know, he was messing with two tough guys. And then <laughs> Spivey told uh, Arnold Skolan, he says, uh, you know, uh, Adrian was supposed to go over uh, on the match. And then uh, Spivey told uh, Arnold uh, Skolan, he says, look, if he messes with me, I'm going to knock him out. And uh, sure enough, uh, they were supposed to go over. So during the match, he messed with him. Uh, then Spivey knocked him out. And then Spivey went over the top rope and, and got disqualified. <laughs> so Adrian got his arm. He was knocked out in the middle of the ring. And he and he got him, his arm raised. So uh, then Spivey came in and told Arnold, he says, uh, look, I told you if he messed with me, I was going to knock him out. So Adrian comes into the locker room. Me and JYD were in the locker room with with uh, Arnold Scolan and I forgot who. There was a couple of other boys in in the locker room. And Adrian, you know, came uh, right you know at Dan Spivey again because supposedly Adrian was a bit of a shooter also. But you know he was in a different league uh, against Dan Spivey. And Dan Spivey knocked him out, you know, again in the in the locker room. You know, it it, it was, uh, you know, I thought I was a tough guy until I got into professional wrestling. And I I realized, I mean, I used to sit in the corner, you know, there was uh, uh, so many guys that that could eat me up and and spit me out, you know, in in a heartbeat. I mean, you know, beginning with uh, King Tonga, Haku, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he he was the best, you know, of, of all.
3: H- Haku may have been the toughest I ever saw.
4: Well, everybody would say he was the one. <laughs> he was a good son of mine, thank God. And,
3: and again, want to mention, the book is called Don't Call Me Chico, and it's available at titosantana.com. Signed copies are available and if you pre-order before Christmas, what an incredible gift! Tito will either give you or your gift recipient a call. It's don't call me Chico at titosantana.com. dot com. And I know Bruce, we we need to wrap. But if any story, I think the fans would like to hear a, a little about because I think a lot of fans had w- wish it might happen today. Tito, talk about. Um, when Kevin Kelly or as he was in, in AWF and uh WWF Nails went after Vince. Well
4: the the problem with with uh with Nails was there was a couple of the boys that had been traveling with Nails and Nails was the main event and the the boys were getting paid either the same or, or, or more than what Nails was getting paid. So they they were irritating him. They were priming him, you know, they primed him up. So, uh, you know, Barry Darso told me, he says, uh, Nails is going to come in He's all pissed off and he's going to go knock uh, Vince out. You know, he's going to go after Vince. And, and sure enough, by the time, by, by the time Nails got to the locker room, uh, you know, he went straight to talk to Vince because you know, he was going to bitch about his payoffs. And before you know it, you know, uh, a bunch of the boys went in there, uh, uh, Sergeant Slaughter and Pat Patterson, to, 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 you know, to, to, to break up the fight. Uh, but uh, talk about another tough guy! Nails was, you know, as, as tough as nails.
3: Yeah, there were there were a, a lot of guys. In the heyday, in the 80s and 90s, you you just didn't want to get, uh, I mean, it's one thing that you could be on the opposite side of someone, but boy, there were a few you'd want to, you, the last thing you wanted to do was get on the bad side. Now, Bruce, do we have time for one more quick question, which I think the fans will really like?
0: Ken, only for you and only for the fine people that listen to this show.
3: Now, Tito, just tell me what the the difference in what you learned. You're one of the the few great wrestlers and and true superstars that went on in the AWF to also be part of the booking and kind of – Tell me how your philosophy and what you may have learned from kind of being on the other side of the desk.
4: Well, I learned that it sure took a lot of time. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter and I uh, started a company called the AWF, and we we supposedly had some investors uh, who supposedly had a lot of money well, we put together a, a company, and we had a lot of great talent. Can you remember that? Yep, uh, absolutely. It, 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 it was as good as it got. I mean, we had a lot of top talent, uh, and uh, we were on the air in some spots, uh, but we were trying to run a world organization with uh, – a high school corporate, you know, administration. And, uh, it wasn't organized enough. It wasn't, uh, Sergeant Slaughter and I wanted to start small. We wanted to start in the West coast, kind of like the AWA area, uh, and, 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 you know, build it slowly. But the, the guy that, uh, God bless his soul, he's not no longer with us. Uh, you know, he wanted to go big and go against uh, Vince, and we we told him, you know, you can't compete against Vince. We're going to build talent, and if, if he says if Vince sees us building talent, he's just going to give him a contract and take you know take the talent away from us. Well, you know, we after about a year, we we were on, on all the major markets, but we were in New York at. Uh, on Monday morning at 1 a.m. in the morning, and we were in Houston at 1 a.m. in the morning in Chicago. So, you know, it was pretty hard to get a get a following. And even then, we were still getting a following. Uh, yeah. we, we had a we were we were in in, in Florida. Uh, I, forgot, I think in Orlando, we were on Saturday Saturday at 9 o'clock in the morning, on Saturday morning, and, and we had better ratings than the WWE at the time. So we, had we, a we two did
3: point, have a, a, a 2.5 rating in Orlando.
4: Yeah. I mean, it, it was just a matter of we, we weren't organized. We didn't have the money and, and it was still costing a lot of money to be at one o'clock in the morning in in New York and in Houston and Chicago and all the major markets. We were on all the major markets at the wrong time. Uh, you know, so it was a great experience for me. You know, it, it uh, it it opened up your eyes, you know. It it, it takes a lot more, you know. And, and Ken, you know yourself. We didn't have enough people, you know. Uh, we we just didn't have enough people, you know, to, to to run a big company. We 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 had enough people to run a, a little organization, and and we 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 should have been started out as a little organization and and, and then you know grow slowly. And uh, we 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 didn't do that.
3: Did Did you enjoy? being on the other side where you were creating the storylines as opposed to kind of carrying out the storylines.
4: Yeah, it was. I did enjoy that. Uh, you know, we had planned, you know, uh, and, and and I became the world champion there, you know, because we just had to uh, put the title on somebody that we could trust. But, you know, Sergeant Slaughter uh, didn't want to, you know, be wrestling we we wanted to be working in the back you know instead of uh doing a lot of the lot of the ring uh wrestling uh i was only going to plan on doing it for a little while and, and then you know build somebody you know to to take the title away from me and and uh you know just allow me more time to uh to plan some uh angles like we used to do back then and you know stories and, and uh the last week, we we had, you know, written up some pretty good angles. You know, we had tech team angles. We had single single angles that we were going to be putting on TV. We had, you know, champ, uh, tech team champions. And uh, I think we had uh, the Honky Tonk and Greg Valentine uh, going against the Coco. And uh, I forgot who his partner was. But, I mean, we had a lot of talent. And, and we were creating some good stories. And we, and we were building them slowly and, and you know, the, the following, t- the last TV taping, we were going to, you know, uh, put some of the, those angles in, in, into play, and we, we just never got a chance to do it. You know, we go, we go, we show up, and they said, "Up, we we run out of money, we're, we're done." <laughs> so <laughs> it was over.
3: Well, Tito, uh, it it was great uh, getting a chance to. To talk to you, Bruce, I, I, I think we certainly gave uh, the fans some, some real insight uh, into the business for, from a different standpoint. Uh, and again, want to remind everyone it's called Tito Santana's Autobiography. It's called Don't Call Me Chico. It's available at TitoSantana.com. Autograph copies, and if you pre order, Tito will give you, or who's ever going to be the gift recipient of that book, uh, a personal phone call, which Bruce, in this day and age, is almost unheard of.
4: Amazing, guys! Thank you so much, and thank you all the fans that are that are listening to this show. Uh, it's been a great ride, and the fans have always been great to Tito Santana. And uh, they continue to be good. And, you know, if you want to read a good book, go out and get one. And I will make the call. Arriba!
0: That's going to do it for this week on Wrestling With History. I hope you enjoyed some of the classic interviews that we've had at VOC Nation. Remember, Ken and I are back with new shows starting the week of September the 14th. You can get that absolutely free wherever your favorite podcast uh, podcasts are uh, housed. So whatever your favorite podcast app is, whether that's Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, whatever it is, the week of September 14th, just look for VOC Nation Radio Network. And by the way, you can listen to all of the fantastic VOC Nation shows right there on vocnation.com. We'll talk to you next time right here on Wrestling With History. Thanks again.